I am so glad to be back here again. This has become like a second home to me. I preach to y'all more than anybody else other than my home church. So, thank you. Yeah. Um, I'm going to get this over here because I'm ADD and I need something to put my stuff down. Um, I want to thank Pastor Chad for letting me come and hang out with you guys. Like I said, um, it's like when I came on campus, I'm going, man, it's like family again. And I got, you know, hug everybody, you know, those of you that like that kind of thing. There are some of you who are like, don't give him, don't, don't, don't do that. And, uh, and so I understand. I'm, I'm not everybody's cup of tea. But um, I, I am thankful to be here today. And um, I asked Pastor uh, Chad what he wanted us to talk about today. And he said they're starting a series in First John. And so I'd like for you to open up your Bibles, please, to First John. Um, probably Pastor kind of explained a little bit about the background of First John. But in case you weren't here, First uh, John is written by a guy named John. In the Gospel of John, which we have Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, it's the fourth of the Gospels, um, it describes um, him as, um, in John 21, the one that Jesus loved. And so he was very intimate with the Father, with Jesus, and just hung out with Jesus and one of his top disciples. I mean, and, and he, of course, we know that he wrote the story of Jesus in the gospel. But he also wrote some more Bible. He wrote letters to the churches that were being spread throughout um, um, Asia Minor at the time. And so he writes 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John. And then we have also the last book of our Bible, and that's the book of Revelation. And so in the midst of all of that, he's writing these different different books to, to, to kind of address a a, a growing problems that are going on. The, the gospel of John is written to primarily a Jewish audience so they can see that Jesus is the fulfillment of the Messiah, that he is the, he, he's the Messiah come. And so First, um, Second, and Third John is dealing with a, a problem that was going on in the church uh, at the time. There was this growing philosophy that you could do whatever you wanted to do in your body and um, in your soul still be pure. That there was a separation of soul and matter. Okay? So let me, let me give you an idea of what I'm talking about, okay? You could basically, you can do whatever you want in your body and still claim to be sinless. So I, could, I can cheat on my wife, I can cheat on my employer, I can lie, I can steal, I can talk bad about people, I can gossip, I can post things online I can, about people, I can be mean, I can be hateful, I can do all of those things, but still be pure, still be right, still be good. That's why, and we see it today, don't we? I mean, you see people all the time that claim to be Jesus followers, claim to be people of, of God, and they'll claim, you know, I follow God, yet you see them cheating on their spouses, you see them not doing well at work, you see them, you know, just, man, they're just honoring bad people, and yet you ask them and they'll say, you know what, I'm, I'm actually pretty good. I'm pretty good. And it's because it came from, from that idea that you can separate your spirit from what happens in your body. And that's what was going on in that time. Is this Gnosticism that was going on and spreading throughout the church. And so there's this idea that, you know what, that you're sinless. No matter what you do during the day, no matter what you do in your body, no matter what you do around people, you know what, you're good. You're sinless. 
And so now, man, we know that that's not the truth of the gospel. In the very beginning of John, 1 John, he tells us the reason why he wrote this book. He tells us that so that your joy may be complete. And you know as well as I do that you can't have joy and a lie at the same time. You can't. You can't live a lie and have joy. I know that to be true. You do too, probably, right? That when you're living a lie, you're living a secret, you're living in the shadow, there's no joy in that. It's just none at all. And so John's writing this letter so the people can really experience joy again. But how do you experience joy? Well, he tells us. Matter of fact, right in the very beginning in, in chapter 1, Look what it says in, I believe it's um, uh, verse 5. It says, this is the message that we've heard from him and declare to you that God is light. And there's absolutely no darkness in him. If we say we have fellowship with him, yet we walk in darkness, we are lying and not practicing the truth. If we walk in the light as he himself is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus his son cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we're deceiving ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him to be a liar and his word is not in us. Chapter 2, verse 1. My little children, I'm writing you these things so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. He himself is the atoning sacrifice for our sin. And not only for our sins, but for those of the whole world. Hey, let's spend some time praying, okay? Let's talk to the Father. Jesus, thank you so much that you remind us that we can have true life. But Lord, we know that life cannot happen if we're living a lie. And Father, today we want, Lord, for you to expose the lie that we're carrying around in our hearts. Father, where we're disobedient to you. Father, where we're rebellion to you. Father, when we're in, in conflict with other brothers and sisters. Father, where, Father, we may not have everything right at home or at work. Lord, times when we're stingy, and Father, not a blessing. Whatever it is, Father, in our hearts and our minds, that Father, that, that is a lie, Father, we pray that you'll convict us of that today, that you'll show us, Father, where we need to be in right relationship with you. Father, help us to confess the sins that, Father, that are in our lives so that we can live a really life. We thank you that you've promised us in this word that we can have that life and have it abundantly because we, can, we have an advocate for the Father. We've got Jesus, the, the atoning sacrifice for our sins, that we can leave here today with confidence of knowing that you and I are good. Jesus, I thank you for being the God who restores, the God who heals. And Father has given us life, not just here on earth, but as we've sang all morning, Father, will one day be in the presence of you. It's in your name we give you praise. Amen. Well, how does he tell us where to have this joy? Well, the first thing that he talks about in this passage is really deception. 
He says in verse 6, if we say we have fellowship with him, yet we walk in darkness, we are lying and not practicing the truth. Verse 8, if we say we have no sin, we're deceiving ourselves and the truth isn't in us. In verse 10, he says, if we say we have sinned, we make him, uh, we have not sinned, we make him a liar and the word is not with us. Now the word that he's using here for deceiving means to be led astray. He says, if we're saying that we don't sin, then we're just leading ourselves astray. We begin to think that our behaviors, we begin to think that our thoughts are okay, or even even worse, that they're justified. I, you know what? I should be able to do this because, you know, I, someone else made me do it. And it leads us down a path that is far from God. And the Bible says, who are we deceiving, really? Are we deceiving God? No, come on. The Lord knows everything. He sees everything. And so, who are we deceiving? Well, we're leading ourselves astray, right? I mean, come on, really. Um, you think about it. Um, we don't deceive others who know us. The people that know us know our problems, right? It's often we deceive ourselves and think that we're something better than we are. But if you actually got your friends and your family to tell you the truth, they'll tell you the truth, right? I mean, because they know. They, they, they know. And so what are we doing? We're just deceiving ourselves. My, my oldest daughter, praise God, she's now married to a wonderful man, has given me two great grandkids. Yes, two. I love being a grandparent. I've talked about it before. Those of you that are grandparents know what I'm talking about. You can love on them and you can send them home, right? They go home. Poppy, can I have cotton candy? Yes, you can right? Why? Because I'm not going to have to put up with you in about 30 minutes. You can go home. And so my oldest daughter, now she's given, she's married, wonderful guy, um, Jesus follower. But when she was, she was in college, she brought home a boy. Okay. And, and I, it, it, he was very polite at the very beginning. He was, he sat on my couch and he said, uh, Mr. Patton, and, he, and I said, well, you know what? So far, so good, man. He's called me Mr. You know, I felt like, all right, man, this guy, he may be the one. He may be the one. I go, we started talking, and I said, what do you want to do, what do you, when you're in college? What do, you, what do you plan on doing? He goes, well, I'm going to be in the ministry. All right, man. I like that. My kids could be poor all their life, but it's okay. God will take care of it. You know, mama started crying over in the corner. It's okay. Um, you know, it's, it's okay. And I said, well, tell, what church do you go to? He goes, oh, I, I don't go to church right now. <gasps> Does anybody else see a problem in that? <gasps> right? Don't, don't you see a problem? How many of y'all will agree that that's probably a problem? Right? Okay, let me see. You want to be a pastor of a church... But you don't go to church. That's a problem. And so from then on, Nancy and I started praying against this boy. And praise God, the Lord moved him to Seattle so we didn't have to mess with him ever again. Right? So I feel like my prayers and my wife's prayers and friends of mine's prayers moved him to Seattle. Thank you, Jesus, to get him out of way. All right? We have a tendency. We don't see our own sin. We don't see our own problems. Why? Because we deceive ourselves. And that's what he's saying. Goes, you deceive yourselves. There's, there's things that, you know, just you're blind by that. You, you can't see. So who are you deceiving, really? You're not deceiving people that know you. You're not even deceiving God. You're deceiving you. That's who you're deceiving. 
And then what happens? We begin to blame our shortcomings on our upbringing, our parents, society, environment, education, or the lack of it. We say that we are proud of our environment or the reason I sin is because someone else made me do it. Years ago, I read this and I thought it was funny and I kept it in a file, so I'm going to share it with you, okay? About the, the progression, right? A college professor said, such rawness in a student is a shame. Poor high school preparation is to blame. The high school principal says that it's plain to see the boy's a perfect fool. The fault lies strictly with grammar school. The grammar school teacher said, I would that from such dolts I might be spared. They send them up to me so unprepared. The kindergarten teacher said, never such a lack of training did I see. What sort of person can that mother be? And the mother said, you stupid child. But then you're not to blame. Your father's folks, I know, are all the same. <gasps> right? <laughs> right? We just shift the blame, right? Don't we? That's us, man. We're just, we just shift the blame to somebody else. And all of us at one time or another, and probably even till today, are people who fail to use our minds to the fullest degree, and we focus on things we shouldn't. We think impure and wrong thoughts. We act unloving and, and mean to people. We act impatient and sometimes even abusive to those that are even in the household of faith. We act selfishly and we steal reputations or resources. We, we either owe too much or we bank and hoard instead of sacrificially um, meeting the desperate needs of our world. I think we all will agree with Proverbs 20, verse 9. It says, who can say, I have kept my heart pure. I am clean and without sin. None of us can, if we're really honest today. If you're really honest, none of us can say that my heart is pure. I am clean and without sin. Well, he praise God he doesn't stop there. He keeps telling us the key to overcoming deception is disclosure. Look what he says next. He says, this is the message we've heard from him and declare to you that God is light and there is absolutely no darkness in him. It's God's desire to disclose himself to you today, to show himself to you. And when we see the fullness of who Jesus is, he shows us then out of that reflection of who we really are, doesn't it? I remember Isaiah chapter 6, if you ever read the Old Testament, he experiences God in this wonderful vision where he's, he's in the presence of God. And it says that, that the, the train of, of the Lord filled the temple and the, and, and the place was filled with smoke. And he heard the angels cry out the seraph and say, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his presence. And in that experience that he sees the living God, it just convicts him of his sin and he falls on the floor because he knows that he is guilty. That's what happens whenever we experience Jesus. And the light of who he truly is, it, it shows us exactly who we are. C.S. Lewis in the book Miracles says that we believe that the sun is in the sky at the midday in summer, not because we can clearly see it, see the sun. In fact, we cannot, but because we can see everything else, right? We can see everything else. Light is pure. 
Light is glorious. Physically, it represents glory. Intellectually, light represents truth. Morally, it represents holiness. Light discloses who Jesus is and who we are in light of that. Not in someone else's light, but true light. Not someone else's standards, but his standards. A few weeks ago, um, Nancy, I'm going to a wedding in, in, um, in uh, Spokane, Washington this next week, and I'm going to freeze my keister off, okay? Um, I'm, I'm not looking forward to that. But I'm going to a wedding, and I'll be honest with you, it's been a while since I've wore a suit. That's one of the things I love about Arizona. They don't make you do that here. And so I had to, I, I had to get out the suit, and I tried it on, and, and my, my wife looks at me and says, Something just isn't quite right. But, and so we go outside, and what I'm thinking is a black suit is a, a black jacket with really dark blue pants, and we don't match at all. Inside, in my house, I looked pretty good. But outside, I was a mismatched mess. And my wife goes, oh, no, you can't wear that. You can't wear that. That's what light does. Light shows us the mismatched mess of our life. That's what light does. And that's what Jesus is telling us. He says if we walk in the light, he also says this, that he himself is light. We have fellowship with one another. And so what does it do? Light allows us to see exactly who we are. It allows us to actually go to the one who can fix it so that we can, have, we can hang out truthfully with one another. Because like I said, the people that know you best know you best, Right? What does light allow us to do? Looking at me, you wouldn't think that I'm a world-class athlete. <laughs> Thank you, brother. <laughs> I'm not really a world-class athlete. But I do exercise all the time. Um, and uh, um, when I can't, don't have time to go hiking, I like to go running in my neighborhood. I'm going to do a five-mile five turkey trot with my daughter. So I've gotta, I can't have my, 30, my 28-year-old daughter beating me on a turkey trot, even though I'm 30 years older than her. I can't have that happen. My ego will not let that happen. And so um, I get up early, and, uh, and you know, I, you know it's, it's still dark outside in the morning, early in the morning. Those of you that like, anybody, anybody morning people that like to get up in the morning? There's seven of it, two of us, like you're, okay, they like to get up. I like to get up early in the morning, like to get my run in, you know, so I'm going out running, and I'm, now I'm finding myself running in the dark. Have you ever run in the dark? And I run in my neighborhood, so um, it's not like, you know, but um, my, my neighborhood's got a really good running track and uh, running path. And, and so I go run, and I'll be honest with you, I'm a little slow at first. Well, slower at first, <gasps> okay? Then, and then, but as the sun comes up, I find myself speeding up. I see myself getting better into rhythm and a groove. My, my Garmin tells me that, that I'm making a really good time whenever the sun starts coming up. Why? Because light has a way of allowing us to really, to, it allows us to run further, faster, and fearless. That's what light does. And so the Bible tells us that we have this, this deception. But the deception, then Jesus says, I'm going to disclose that deception to you so that you can, so something can be done about it, right? Now that we, we're actually honest, and the Lord's revealed to us the, the sin in our life, the error of our ways, our rebellious nature of 
then the Lord says, you know, I'm not going to let you live there because there's no joy in living there, right? There's no joy at all living there. There's no life living in that state. And so what am I going to do? Well, I'm going to have a defense for you. How many of you have ever been stopped by the popo? Now, I know you're lying now. Okay, I, I know it, all right? I mean, come on, right? You're driving down the highway, you're driving down the interstate, all of a sudden the, the highway patrol pulls up behind you. You know, don't you? You know you're guilty, right? You know it. And you, um, one of the last times, I said one of the last times, was in, um, was in rural Alabama. I was with a church planter. We are going to go see a church about helping support this church planter. And I crest the hill, and I saw the police officer. And I knew, I knew, I knew I was guilty of sin. And I just pulled over. I waited for him. I waited. I'm going, because I saw him turn around, and I go, hey, I know what he's coming for. And I pulled over. And you know how it is. And they come up to your window, and they say, sir, do you know why? I pulled you over. Oh, yeah. I know exactly why you pulled me over, right? Now, you can always debate, no, I have no idea why you pulled me over, right? No, what, I was speeding? Really? Let me just share with you from vast experience, that never works. <gasps> that never works. But if you're honest, right? If you're honest, maybe you can get out of the ticket. So I said, sir, I was speeding, I was way too fast, and I am guilty. And the guy goes, you're right. I'm going to give you a warning. Yes, thank you, Jesus. By his grace, right? By his grace. Thank God we have someone there to be our defense. Look what he says in chapter 2, verse 1. My little children, I'm writing you these things so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, catch this. Ready for this? You ready? For this? this is great. You've got to underline it in your Bible. We have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. Jesus Christ is our advocate, our defender. He is someone, this means someone who is called in to stand by our side when we know that we're guilty. The purpose is to help in any way possible. In, in the New Old Testament, or excuse me, New Testament, it's, it has three ideas, three pictures. It's the picture of a friend called in to help who is in trouble or distressed or confused. It's the picture of a commander called to help a discouraged and dispirited army like, or a football team like my University of Oklahoma was last week getting beat up by Texas, Right? thought you might like that okay yeah man that was bad okay um my brother did not call me for encouragement he did not he did not stand in the gap for that one okay but he didn't but to his defense he didn't call me and shame me either which in the previous years I have texted him to remind him of that so he's a much better man than I am okay uh, it's also a picture of a lawyer an advocate called to help a defendant who needs his case pleaded. That's what it is. It's someone that stands in the gap. W.F. Westcott says this way. He said, our Lord Jesus does not stand alongside us to somehow win for us the love from God as if God is hardened and bitter toward us. The love of God is the same throughout. But he cannot, by virtue of his very nature, welcome the sinful and more than this, he cannot treat sin as if there's no sin. So Jesus says, I got this. 
We know we're guilty. Amen? We know it. Light has been brought out to us. We know in our hearts that we're guilty. So we need an advocate. Someone that will stand up beside us and say, I know they're guilty, but I've got this. John is saying that God himself who brings the light also brings the help. And that help is in the person of Jesus who gives his, gave his own life for us. It is Jesus, catch this one, okay? If any of you sin, and this, the, I love the verb tense here because he's going, you're sinning, okay? And he goes, you, you have an advocate who will argue your case not just once, but he'll continually advocate it for it over and over and over and over and over again. He's constantly, catch this, Jesus is always standing in the gap for you because he loves you. He loves you. So the Bible tells us that, and it also tells us, he also then leads us to this last point of deliverance. I love what chapter, verse 7, second half of verse 7 says. It says that the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses, some translations say purifies us from all sin. Purify means to clean out. That's what it means. It says in chapter 2, verse 2, that he himself is the atoning sacrifice for our sins. This is what Jesus has to offer you today. That he himself is the sacrifice for you so that you can live life. That Jesus is the covering. That he is the satisfaction. That he is the payment. That he is the appeasement for sin. And it is he that turns away God's anger and makes reconciliation possible between God and us Jesus did his part so what are we to do verse 9 says if we confess our sins he is faithful and just forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness the word confess means to agree or to declare alike it comes from two words alike and word speech we were told that that it is our responsibility to agree with God about the nature of our crisis we have to say, yes, I am a sinful person. This is sin. And then we confess that to the Lord. He says he forgives us. And not just forgives us once, but he, can, can, he forgives us over and over and over again. The word forgive here means to leave behind. He leaves it behind. God literally means to abandon. That God will leave behind and abandon your sins. Jesus does not pick up your sin anymore. Once we confess it and we receive his forgiveness. Isaiah 43 verse 12 says, I, even I, am he who blots out your transgression for, I, for, my, for my own sake and remembers your sins no more. That's what Jesus offers you today. Now what I love about this is in chapter, verse 2, the second part of this says, He himself is the atoning sacrifice for our sins, but not only ours, but also those of the whole world. You catch that? You hear the mission? So Jesus is saying this or through, through John. John's going this. Says, Jesus is revealing to you who you really are in the light of who he really is. We understand who we really are, and we confess who we really are. And we ask Jesus to forgive us of our sins, 
which he is faithful, he is just, he'll forgive us of our sins, not just now, but he'll forgive our sins forever and ever because he is the atoning sacrifice for our sins. He's already paid for it once. He's already done that. And catch this, he goes, and not just for those of us that are sitting in the room that we like, but also the people of the whole world. Jesus is the only way for the corporate executive and the only way for the college student. Jesus is the only way for the white collar, the blue collar, and the no collar. Amen? Jesus is the only way. Jesus is the only way for Arizona. The only way for Arizona. Let's just shout. Where are you guys from? Okay? Where are you from? I'm originally from Oklahoma. God's the only way for Oklahomans to come to Jesus. Who? Oklahoma, praise God. Yes. We got a lot of people that need to pray for Oklahoma. All right? So, anybody else? Where are you from? California. California. Right? Jesus is the only way for California. The only way for Texas. What else? Go ahead. Kansas. Oh, yeah. Jesus needs Kansas. <laughs> Matt, where? Brazil. That's a long way from here. Right? Jesus is the only answer to Brazil. Peru. Jesus is the only answer to Peru. Right? Where else? See? See? Jesus is the answer to all those places. There, catch this. The Bible tells us that there is no plan B. There is no plan B. One of the reasons why we go to the uttermost parts of the world is because Jesus has forgiven people all over the world. This message is not just for us in Scottsdale, or those of us that live in Peoria, or those of us that live in Arizona. It is the gospel. It is the opportunity to have life and the plan for life for all over the world. That's why we do mission. That's why we do mission. What's my response today? Well, my friends, if you've never asked Jesus Christ to come in your life, today is your day. Today's your day. You have a choice. You can continue to live a lie or you can live a life. You can live in deceit or you can live with deliverance. Jesus today is offering you joy. He's offering you life. And for those of us who have asked Jesus to be our advocate, to be our atonement, we rejoice and take responsibility. We rejoice that we have been redeemed and we take responsibility to confess our sins on a daily basis because we know what we do is wrong and we communicate to those yet who have not heard the gospel. That's what God is calling you and me to do. And so today we offer that to you. So today you can leave here not living a lie but experiencing life. Will you pray with me? Jesus, thank you so much. Father, we've had a chance to see what your word says on how to have life. Lord, thank you that you reveal to us who we are so that we can be free from who we are. That we can lean on you. Thank you, Jesus, for being our advocate, for being our redeemer, for being our atoning sacrifice so that we can have life and that is life abundant. Jesus, I thank you that you're not just the plan for Scottsdale, for Arizona, but Father, you are the plan for the whole world. Jesus, we pray that if there's someone here who doesn't know you yet, today will be the day they say yes in your name. Amen.